Welcome to Her Stories, a series of podcasts showcasing the diverse expertise, wisdom, and courage of the members of the Mediterranean Women Mediators Network, presented by peace activist Magda Zenon. In each episode, recorded during the coronavirus social isolation period, a different mediator shares her story. This is Magda, and today with us on Her Stories is Emine Cholak. Emine is a Turkish stripped lawyer barrister, practicing in Nicosia since 1982, and she specializes in human and social rights. Welcome, Emine. Thank you, Magda. Pleasure to be with you. Um, Emine is a treasured friend. She's the, actually the first Turkish stripped I met when I came to Cyprus, and Emine has been very active in civil society and in the peace movement ever since I can remember. But you introduce yourself to the listeners, Emine. Who is Emine? I think Emine is, um, I describe myself primarily as a lawyer. That's my profession. That's my career. That's my independence. That's uh, the way my brain is wired mostly. Uh, So I I would describe myself as a practicing lawyer um, who never, ever wanted to leave that profession despite all the other areas that she was involved in. But uh, it wasn't long before, even as a lawyer, I was working in many social activities. I I, I stood for representation in the municipal council. I uh, was active in many NGOs and established many new ones uh, in pretty much every area of, of human rights and uh, social issues that you can think of, including children, education, gender issues, refugee rights, uh, LGBT rights, uh, other issues connected with the Cyprus problem, property, missing persons, uh, every issue that you can uh, think of, uh, rights-based uh, activities, um, even patients' rights. Uh, I've been sort of involved in and always drawn into by others because Cyprus is a very small place. Northern Cyprus is even smaller. Mm. So you get a name, good or bad, very easily. And I don't know if this is good or bad, but I certainly got one for being ready to contribute Mm. to the community uh, in in a positive and constructive way, uh, in my view. So I think that that is is, uh, the major part of what I am within my community. But along with that, Emine is uh, the mother of three children and the grandmother of four grandchildren. Um, and and the family is is particularly on the agenda now in, in isolation with, with coronavirus. And I think that is, uh, it's, when looking inward, uh, you get to measure how important that is to you to, uh, in your existence, on an existential level, I guess. Uh, tell me a little bit more about the NGOs you formed and were part of, because I think one of the most important ones in, and the most umbrella one in what you've, you've done is the Human Rights Foundation. That you were, you were a founder and you were also chairperson at one stage, were you not? Indeed. Well, what happened was um, in our activities, and especially, as you mentioned in the introduction, in as a peace activist, as someone always being on the side of trying to find a resolution to the Cyprus problem on the basis of cooperation and dialogue between the two sides that will take us 
to a bicommunal bi-zonal federation. Um, in that context, um, I was up to my ears in, um, in activity around the time of the Annam plan, both as uh, within civil society and within the actual negotiation process. Uh, and that was, I was asked to head the technical committees who were negotiating the laws. Can we just uh, can we just introduce people to what the Annan plan actually was? The Annan plan was a plan that was put on the table by Kofi Annan in 2003. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And it was put on the table in a rush. We suddenly had to make the decision within a month or two whether we were it was going to go to referendum and there was conversations in the north and in the south on television but there was a there was pressure on both sides to make a decision and both sides felt the pressure in a different way and both sides got prepared in a different way and both sides voted differently which is the sad part of the whole conversation so you were brought into putting together um like a how, how in that context what were you doing in the north the uh, plan that actually had to be taken and was taken to referendum was a new constitution that would form the united cyprus mm. and then two mini constitutions uh, for each of the units that were going to make up this federation mm. and then there would also be what they called federal laws which were to be accepted by both these units but by both communities as to be binding on them as to how they would make the federal structure work. Okay. And so it was over a hundred laws from everything from VAT to water to meteorology to... Uh, education? Or is it, 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 no, no, education would be a, a part of the, um, the, the, the units, as we call okay. them. Uh, but not education, but things like um, uh, natural resources. Okay. Think how relevant that is. Today, today, yes. Um, and I know Im- imports and customs and these kind of things. So, uh, and also uh, we must recall that it came just before accession to the EU. So yes. it had to be laws that made sure that the whole of the fed- federal, new united federal Cyprus was uh, in a- harmonized to EU acquis. Um, and this was a very tough task for my community. Because we 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 were still we would we have been isolated and sort of trying to cope on our own for uh, decades. Whereas the Republic of Cyprus, naturally, because it's the recognised entity, mm. it was being assisted by the EU to harmonise and prepare in every way. And then we had this task, as you you are quite right, it was a very rushed thing. It had to be done very quickly. We had to get ourselves organized, try to understand, get our heads around all this legislation, negotiate it so that the, within how these different offices and departments were going to operate, there'd be fair representation and, and a, a basis of cooperation between the two partners, let's say, within the uh, Federation. So it was a um, a massive task in law and a massive task in negotiation uh, to get uh, that whole body of laws negotiated and finalised in time to take it to the referendum uh, in April 2004. And you as a Turkish Cypriot, there's another dimension that not everyone might be aware of is that in Cyprus, the Greek Cypriot South is legally recognised and the Turkish Cypriot North 
has only been recognized by Turkey. So it's a bit of an imbalance in power, okay? And it's a bit of, it's more of a limbo that you needed to work through in order to reach some kind of a consensus of thinking and laws and framework. So I think that adds another dimension that you, that some people don't know about and certainly adds another complication to what you needed to work through and you worked through quite well. So... Yes. So uh, after being so active and, and so heavily involved in the Annan and being personally and as a community quite disappointed with its failure, mm. um, then we were sort of, we, we felt like we'd sort of, we were in a vacuum. Here we are, the Turkish Cypriot community, we'd voted for this plan to resolve the Cyprus problem. Resoundingly, uh, so a resounding yes. yes. It was a resounding and, yes by the Turkish Cypriot community. Yeah, the, the Greek Cypriot community had voted no. That means the whole thing had failed. And so where were we? You know, we have no solution, but we don't really have any other specific um, new process in place either. Um, and so people like myself, we sat and thought, well, what should we be doing now? Uh, and the answer to that was, if the Turkish Cypriots have voted yes to reunification, yes to EU membership, yes to embracing international law and the standards and the, the, uh, all the rules that apply, including human rights, mm. uh, then the biggest gap in our community that we saw at the time was that we don't have, we're not doing enough internally for our own good, unilaterally, mm. uh, in order to put in place what has to be in place anyway for us to achieve that uh, goal that we have declared we have, mm-hmm. yeah? Yes, yes. So we established the Turkish Cypriot Human Rights Foundation. That was immediately afterwards in 2005. And yes, you're right, I did chair it for nearly 10 years. And it, it just snowballed because, because it was the only major independently operating human rights uh, organization, NGO. We had to do with everything. We were looking at gender, as I say, we were looking at LGBT rights, we were looking at disabled rights and issues to do with the Cyprus problem and the whole uh, ambit of human rights. And then in working in that, then we started to, uh, because you immediately attract uh, people who are interested in in, uh, working in human rights or Mm. researching human rights or defending human rights in the sort of the legal sense. Uh, and then we were able to sort of formulate, to sort of give birth, if you like, to we gave birth to the Refugee Rights Association because we found that we, there was a lot of work to do there uh, in terms of people that ended up in the north of the island, um, either in boats or you know through normal transportation, um, and wanted some kind of asylum or some kind mm. of refugee status. Uh, and as you mentioned before, the the whole challenge of being um, a Turkish Cypriot and being active in this way is how do you handle that whole issue of not having uh, a legal uh, status or recognition Mm. through which you can use all the channels that the Republic of Cyprus can use Mm. or that, I don't know, Greece can use or that Malta can use or anybody else can use. You can't use those channels because they refuse to have direct official contacts with you. So you have to find other means. So, for example, with the issue of refugees, um, we established contacts with the UNHCR uh, as an NGO in order to 
get their input and to supply our input, combine the two so that we could work, cooperate together for the benefit of refugees. Mm. You know, this uh, this is something that I I feel uh, quite frustrated and quite cross sometimes at having to uh, explain again and again, look, you know, I'm not... As I mean now, I'm not working for the recognition of any breakaway state mm. or, you know, some political ulterior motive. You know, I'm working in that context. I was working for the benefit of, of refugees who have ended up in the north of the island, quite often by mistake. Very tragic conditions. We all know how what a refugees' uh, uh, challenges are. Exactly. And I'm just, I'm trying to work for them. So don't... Uh, don't don't turn away from me, or don't refuse to cooperate with me when I, when this is my whole purpose. So, and sorry, uh, and, and don't give me motives that I don't have. Absolutely, I don't. Absolutely. I think that's the whole one because I yes. know that as a Greek Cypriot, when we do work together, island wide, this issue of recognition is a nightmare. It is because a lot it of is. the time you, I'm just doing it because I want us to do something together. It's got nothing to do with whether I recognize or I don't recognize what it's got to do with the, the collective, the community, the yeah. right and wrong. And it is, it's this this thing of always having a motive, always doing yeah. it for a political reason. We are political in another sense, but not necessarily always for the issue of recognizing a breakaway state. I mean. Yeah, I, th- I think the frustration there is that um, if this is some kind of punishment, or this is some kind of pressure on the Turkish Cypriot side, you think, okay, so what's this pressure for? So that we come and, and we have a, a solution? Okay. But my generation think, yes, so we we tried our best, yeah? We had one chance. We had one shot mm. until now. And that was the Annan plan and the referendum. All we had was that vote that we had then. <laughs> and we used it. And it still didn't happen. So, so now what are we being punished for? Uh, we're, we're, we're referred to as a, an invaded and occupied area. Mm. Okay. So, but is it the Turkish Cypriots who invaded and occupied? No, no. We live here. We're Cypriots. So, what are we being punished? What are we being, you know, exorcised for? <laughs> uh-huh. uh, this, this becomes a, as I say, it's one of the challenges. It's one of the frustrations in trying to do something because, um, in, in Personally, and again, we're going back to who and what Emily is. All I want to do is to go forward. All I want to do is overcome obstacles. Mm. All I want is a better environment for myself, for my community, for all Cypriots. Yes. So why am I having to deal with this this negativity or this opposition, which is really quite self-defeating? No, I actually I mean, totally agree. I don't see that any, any Greek Cypriot or any Greek Cypriot leadership benefits from ostracizing me. Well, I'm I'm trying to work out, I'm trying to work out as a Greek Cypriot (laughs) what they're benefiting anyway. Because to me, the benefit, uh, my friend, my friend that's an environmentalist, actually said it beautifully. She said, an island in terms of environment is codependent. And to me, that is also in terms of community, that unless we work together, we are stronger together, we are more effective together. Um, we can't, we are too small to separate. Sure. We can help In each every other. single context. Yes, exactly. You're talking about an environmental one, but but an economic one, a, a health one. Look at Corona. Mm. Is, is Corona different on each side of the island? Mm. It's the same sickness. It's the same virus. When we're taking measures against coronavirus, how can it be successful? 
unless we cooperate so that we know who is coming in and what uh, measures are being taken uh, regarding them. So we know if we're going to be crossing, which we need, we must be crossing back and forth. There are human relations. There are uh, students, pupils, uh, Turkish students uh, studying in schools in the south, which are now open, mm. some of them. Uh, we have uh, people, people working. working in the south. Yeah, we have people uh, who are lovers and partners uh, stuck on each side. H how can we uh, pretend that, you know, you can just at the snap of a finger, separate the two sides and get on with life? Mm. You, it doesn't it doesn't work like that. And the sooner we appreciate this and focus more on uh, unifying rather mm. than separating the two sides, uh, the better for all of us. A solution is just a piece of paper. Mm. Uh, an agreement is is a document. It's not life. Life is about Every how day. humans are behaving and mm. thinking. And I agree with you. I was so hoping that this would be a lesson or a challenge in us being forced to be collective and it ain't happening. <laughs> but let's go. Mm. Let's um we're not gonna solve the Cyprus problem. Inshallah we could, but we're not gonna solve it in this interview. Um <laughs> Another part of MNA is also you've done a lot of mediation. You've had the you're a mediator, you're a trained mediator. Is that mm -hmm. something you mm -hmm. learned in light of being a lawyer, or is it something that actually just happened as you were part of civil society and fighting for human rights, or both? I think uh, it's a, it's a big fuzzy ball. In that, uh, yes, about twenty years ago, with the help of some experts, academicians who came to Cyprus on sabbaticals from the United States, uh, I, I participated in, in courses on mediation. And then I wanted more. And then I did higher. And then I did uh, further. And then I trained uh, to a, an advanced level. Then I trained to be a trainer. Then I uh, participated in actual mediation sessions and uh, exercises. So mediation became very much a part of uh, my life and something I enjoyed doing, something I get and still get great satisfaction from uh, exercising, both technically as a as a tool to dispute uh, to resolve disputes, and also I think uh, in my nature, in my everyday work, everyday life, um, we're women, and um, you can have a major confrontation as as tough as any war with a toddler. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or a teenager. Yes. Or, a, or an older person. Or a partner. A, yes. Or an elderly, stubborn, elderly father. Yes. You know, it's the same kind of um, obstruction to going forward mm. that you have to find a way around through communication, through empathy, through trying to find a way that uh, sort of peels away the ego mm. and all the other uh, side issues and concentrates on on, on the, the actual issue so that you resolve it win-win, as they say, you yes. know, empathizing with both sides and then carry the thing further. For me, this is mediation. Mediation is overcoming obstacles in order to make progress, to in order to go forward. Otherwise, it's always the easier option to block. Mm. We've been talking about block on, on our island yeah. about how some things are sort of seem to have been ingrained uh, and cause blockage that we haven't been able to resolve. But but it, it's in every area, yes. every relationship, every 
dispute, whether it's about a, a huge company and their shares or whether it's about a, a border dispute or whether it's about a, a divorce and the, the matrimonial property. These are all issues in everyday life, in every area of everyday life, whereby the, the, the difficulties of it, the challenges, the toughness of it um, can either block you or you can work and try to develop expertise in how you work to overcome that mm. blockage so that you can move forward rather than be stuck. No, I, I agree. I mean, I've I've always been a person that hates confrontation. Mm-hmm. I always, if it gets too heated, I'm more inclined to step back because I don't like to see confrontation. Now, though, that I've, along the way of activism, I've learned this mediation stuff. And it's much, much easier because no one gives up anything unnecessarily. You actually yes. focus on what's important. You focus on one or two non-negotiables, and then you work beyond, uh, work around them to make sure that everyone at least gets their non-negotiable or some part yeah. of their non-negotiable. And you also learn that when there can always be winners. You don't have no one loses anything. In fact, exactly, exactly. Okay, um, and and also the, you you have to weigh up um, the the alternative. You know, if you don't resolve this in a way whereby you don't get 100% of what exactly. you want, but neither, uh, the alternative is to be, again, stuck. Are you going to choose being stuck or are you going to choose to be a bit more flexible, a bit more generous, a mm. bit more compassionate to the other side in order to also gain yourself, uh, to be get yourself out of that stuck position? Well, so you, this is why I think of mediation, as I say, as as a, a as how to move forward mm. rather than being stuck or going backwards. Well, you helped me. I remember being really stuck in a family dispute where my family wanted to take stuff away from me that wasn't theirs; it was mine, and I just dug in my heels because I was in panic and feeling threatened. And then you said to me, "What's the one thing you don't want to lose? If you get that, <laughs> the arrest is irrelevant." And then you avoid all the co- and then you avoid all the conflict, the unnecessary conflict. Focus on what you want, you can't do without, and then the rest is not really important. So don't fight for everything. Choose your battles more selectively. But you know we're all human. It's it's really difficult, and I, and I again I, I empathise and I see a lot of it in my profession as well. People get really caught up on some part of the dispute that isn't really the core. Mm. But we do this. You know, maybe it's about ego. Maybe it is about feeling uh, resentment at being bullied. Mm. Yeah. Uh, or you know that there's this imbalance of power and that really annoys you. But it's not because, you know, you're that stuck on what they're offering yes. or not, or not <laughs> offering. Yeah. So it's it, again, it's about uh, the thing that I, I think is really um, interesting about mediation and that I can't get enough of learning uh, how to do it better and better it is, is these, uh, this method of getting to the core of it, the actual problem, uh, and and peeling away the parts that are less important, in fact, are not the core, mm. but the, but can be a major blockage because we're all human. We all have emotions. Exactly. We have anger. We have resentment or we have things, what do they call it, baggage. Yes. That we've carried uh, something way back from our past, from our childhood that suddenly springs up and, you know, I'm not going to be bullied or I'm not mm. going to be... Uh, dismissed just because I'm a woman or whatever it is, yes, you know, that comes up you. Uh, and, and sort of makes fuzzy the actual core that you need to solve and makes you stuck. So mediation is about coming unstuck. 
Tell me, were you you a member of the Mediterranean Women Mediators Network? What has that network brought you, or what is the thing that drew you to that network? Uh, the network uh, I was um, first introduced to and was attractive to me for a number of reasons. First of all, uh, because mediation is mm. there, and mediation is a is a passion that I've I've uh, tried to explain, and the women aspect in that it's not any old mediation activity, but it's women mediators, the power of which, the the uh, the speciality of which, uh, I, I feel more and more with my. Uh, with my age, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and working with women in particular. Um, and the the third part is the international element, that you can network and you can learn from uh, women mediators in, in very different environments, in very different parts of the world, in different kinds of conflicts, with different kind of histories, mm-hmm. how they overcome their obstacles and that what they have learned and what they have achieved becomes a lesson for you, becomes it becomes like a like food or nourishment for you mm. in what you're doing, uh, and it's like a like a, a drip on your arm that you're getting the the, the nutrients from these other mm. fantastic women uh, into your own uh, body to to do the work that you're doing, and of course giving nutrition to them from your experience. Mm. I think this was the, uh, the the exciting part of it, and of course the potential because we're still a, a, a fresh and new. Um, uh, network that's uh, I mean, started up and been uh, slightly uh, crippled with corona for a while. But um, I'm really excited about the potential of bringing in more and more women, bringing in younger mm-hmm. women, spreading uh, the, uh, the activities and the work and the, and the, the um, again, this sharing mm-hmm. of expertise and experience that, that will be, it will be like a pool that we can all drink from. This is how I see the, the network. Tell me, you recently had quite an exciting opportunity to go to West Africa, to the Cameroon, yes. to do work, Indeed. which is, I remember you got the email and you jumped at it before the email landed almost because it was so exciting and you did the right, I mean, you did the right thing. Tell us a little bit about it because I think that's that reflects exactly what you've just said before, that yes. you learn from the people Indeed, around yeah. you and you give back. It was uh, at the beginning when I started to get involved in with the networks and also the network of the Commonwealth Network of Women Mediators, and this invitation came. And it was a project whereby the um, the women in Cameroon working for peace had uh, undertaken a project to basically travel around uh, Cameroon and make an assessment and a report on the impact of the violence going on there, very tragic uh, violence Mm. going on there and its impact on women and and, and children, for example. Um, And then based on that report, uh, build on it to to make uh, recommendations and and suggestions as to how it can be relieved. Um, I'd never been to uh, those parts of Africa uh, and I'd never worked so closely with African women. We were a team of eight invitees, uh, expert mediators, again, through the network. So there were women there from uh, other African nations and also South Africa. And uh, from um, there was a German mediator as well. And we, we were a group who, and we were very well uh, looked after. Uh, but we were sort of thrown right into the middle of what was happening in Cameroon. Uh, and, and seeing the the dynamics there, 
um, I went, I, I'm a Turkish Cypriot, so I know what it is to be in a, a, a post-colonial country, to be a citizen of a country that obtained independence in, uh, in the early 60s uh, with promises of how the different groups or the different communities within that country could cooperate and work together in this new world of, uh, of uh, post-colonial <laughs> uh, yeah, future. Um, but that didn't work out like that. It, it, that didn't turn out to be such a, uh, such a paradise. Um, so I could see a lot of um, things that were totally different to Cyprus. In Sorry, Cameroon. can I, can I, was, can I interrupt you? Um, you uh, you're oh. also in, live in a country that's bilingual. And the Cameroon is the same because it's Anglophone and Francophone. So you also saw you yes. brought that with you and you took that away, whatever you learned from the Cameroonians. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That there was, as I say, it was so different and it was a, a strange place to me, but there were sort of strands that I could relate to. Um, and I, I, one was the, uh, the multi uh, community, the mm. multilingualism of it. Uh, the post-colonialism of it, um, the violence, internal violence. Uh, war is bad in every way. Civil war is is also extremely painful because it's, uh, you could call it brother against brother, you know, compatriot against compatriot. That, that is also very painful. Or in the situation of, of Cameroon where there were atrocities and, and violence committed uh, by what you might term as rebels, mm -hmm. people rebelling against uh, oppressions that they um, that are unhappy with, but also atrocities and, and uh, harm, violence committed by the government, organs and agencies of the government, the military, against its own people. Mm. These are very painful stuff that um, also come into the field of uh, reconciliation in time, uh, truth reconciliation and uh, accountability of what the state did that was, uh, you know, that was acceptable and, and totally unacceptable. And so I was also, the other strand that I felt very close to was uh, we'd arrived um, there and we were observing the situation. It was, it, the, the violence had been very bad for about three years and there were some kind of attempts to get the sides around a table and to get uh, a negotiated solution. Yeah, mm. that strand is familiar to us. <laughs> and I, I just had to, to say, look, don't think that this can um, be spread out, you know, that, that uh, uh, it has to be, it will come to a solution quickly. You have to really work hard and know that you have to press for that solution. If you let things solidify, um, it becomes... It doesn't become normal. It never becomes normal, but it becomes very chronic. It mm. becomes a, 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 a situation that you have to live with for, for generations. Uh, in that, uh, in Cyprus, it's over 50 years mm. that our leaders have been sitting at the table. And there's over 50 years that people have lost members of their family, that they're still, you know, uh, the, sort of um, uh, unhappy about or sad about uh, from the conflict of the mid-60s. Or, or people have been displaced, mm. you know, and it's 45 years and they're still displaced and they, have, they don't feel they've got justice for that or been able to go back to their homes. Mm. Don't think that, you know, because, uh, again, in Cameroon, there have been uh, villages burnt down, people fled into the bushes, they call it, living in the... Um, 
in in the forests and living in the jungles, living in the big cities, uh, absolutely destitute. And I, I kind of wanted to warn them mm. that you could be looking for decades and decades. So move fast. Uh, again, you use your mediation skills for not maximalist, but um, acceptable uh, solutions, uh, some kind of compromise and get it done. People that have been displaced, you know, get their, get their houses back, get their homes, their villages back. So that because if you burn down a village, if you destroy a home, we know that as Cypriots. You destroy a home, you destroy a whole uh, community, you destroy a life. You, you um, as I say, the, the, the members of the family have been scattered. The, they don't. Some of them don't know where each other are. Um, it, it's. Um, I, I must admit, that I, I was. Uh, have, have, my wounds were refreshed a little bit <laughs> in seeing those people, and I just wanted to warn them: move fast. You know, uh, think positive. Uh, just get 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 the the matter solved as quickly as possible, including justice. Mm. I mean, th- there has to be somebody has to be accountable yes. for atrocities and murder. Um, Gender based violence, of course, just springs up naturally yes. in this uh, chaos, in this lack of uh, rule of law. Uh, it, it just, it, everything from kidnapping, rape, murder. Uh, exploitation of women and children it, it, all, it all comes together so you ha- first you need a, a rule of law by which people feel that there is rule of law in, in the form of justice mm. not um, not I, by rule of law I don't mean you know iron rod, I don't mean um, violence from the state, I don't mean a police state, I mean some kind of um, rule in which people feel they are being treated equally and fairly mm. Uh, people have also got to feel, I think, that what they've been through and what has happened, there's got to be some kind of accountability. And as I agree with you, it's not a police state of the the steel rod and stuff. There's just got to be people have got to feel that what has happened has got to be taken seriously, empathetically, and let's move forward. But there's got to be, I yeah. agree with you, a rule of law yeah. and accountability. Sure, and compensated. Uh, yeah, you know, compensated. If, you've, if you've been able to establish that the uh, the military have burnt down that village, then uh, then that state has to to do its utmost to to rebuild and remedy the harm it's done. Okay, um, Emine, so that we can close this interview, I want you to tell me one or two women that have inspired you. Oh wow. Yeah, I guess, again, going back to my lawyer hat, I think um, the first woman lawyer in uh, in my community, Shefika Durduran, mm, oh, yes. uh, she's, uh, she's a very strong, uh, very intelligent, very eloquent woman who, uh, who always impressed me and has been a role model with her integrity. Okay. She, she yeah, she would always preserve her integrity. She... She would know, and she knows that she's, especially at, in, her, in the time that she started in the profession, uh, very much a minority, uh, very much maybe scoffed at or disrespected, uh, at least behind her back, because she was a woman trying to operate in that. But never, ever losing her cool, never losing her integrity and her persistence to do, not to fight with people, but to do her job well. Okay. To, above all, be a good woman lawyer. Ah, okay. It's not about being here. So it's, it's um, uh, and I think uh, that that's the example I take 
most, and that is women who are highly professional in what they do, knowing and despite the fact that they're going to be discriminated against, they're going to be have things mansplained to them. <laughs> yeah, and if there's a promotion or some kind of work, you know, the, between her and a man, it's more likely that the man will get it. We know all these uh, these dynamics, um, and also at the same time. Uh, when I was younger, I it used to confuse me how women do it. You know, how can they be um, good professional, but also a mother that bakes cakes for their kids? Well, actually, it is possible, and that, that's the, the superpower of women. You know, the superpower of women is she can be just as um, effective in a courtroom and come home and really be the, the queen of a castle and, and make her kids happy by rolling around on the floor with them and, you know, baking with them or whatever it takes. You know? mm. So it is possible to do all this. It's, it's exhausting, <laughs> but it's also very satisfactory. And that would be, as I say, um, I get gave Shefika as, as an example. Now, there are many names of, of women like this in different professions, but I think I, I've also always taken uh, those women uh, as examples. But I agree with you. I think someone that just does the job right because it's the right thing to do, regardless of the obstacles on the way, in the way, that are thrown at her artificially in a lot of cases. I think there's a lot of admiration to be had for someone like that. I, I, I've met her once or twice, so I don't know her that well, but I would agree with you in terms of with the description you've given me. Anything else you want to add before we close? Um. Not really. I, I just think that uh, what we've discussed, in a nutshell, is uh, is about why we need more and more women in more and more effective positions and situations. Whether it's a, a table, whether for negotiations, whether it's parliaments and boards, uh, everywhere we need more of the woman. Uh, the, the gender equality being more visible and more uh, focused because this is the only way we are going to to, to make progress, you know, to overcome obstacles. Uh, because unless you have that balance and that equality, the obstacles are going to be bigger. Whereas if you have that balance, then it will be easier to, uh, to have a culture of balance, mm. a culture of equality, a culture of sharing and cooperating because men and women are cooperating. Yes. Okay. If you have a majority of one sex or the other, this, is, this applies to sort of imagine a situation where women uh, would be in reverse, the, the dominant sex. Yeah. That would not work either because you need that balance and that cooperation to take you forward and to be productive. Otherwise, anything lopsided. Uh, it's going to be dysfunctional. That's how I consider our world at the moment, unfortunately. Okay, I agree with you. We need a world that's inclusive and balanced and takes everyone into account. Takes every person into account, at least everyone gets listened to. So I will close, we can close on that note that we need to go forward with balanced perceptions and balanced discussions. It's the only way forward. Thank you for being with us, Emine. And I look forward to more cooperation and more challenges to overcome. Thank you very much for having me on your program. Thank you, Emine, and have a nice, lovely rest of the day. You too. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of Her Stories, please leave comments, suggestions and reviews. 
and share with anyone you feel may find this equally interesting. A big thank you to our sponsor, You and Woman, and see you on the next episode.